0: For a moment, I'm going to create a scenario, and would you come up with your own solution? Let's say that you were put in charge of the country. Oh. Hallelujah! <laughs> this sermon is for you. <laughs> All right, um, there's a pride that goes before. Yeah. So, um, so you were placed in charge of the country, and you were asked on day one to declare your highest priority, what would it be? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Some of us might say the national defense, others might say the economy, a close second to that is education, usually because education helps the economy, gets in there. But what's your top priority? And what would happen if we put a different stake in the ground? What would happen if you made wisdom your top priority? Wisdom isn't something that's just for those in authority, though parents need it. Children, pray for your parents. Youth leaders, pray for your elders. We need it. It isn't just for our local leaders or our national leaders. We all need it. But even everyday people, kids, if you're responsible even for just a pet, this morning. You need wisdom. Have you ever felt your need of wisdom? If you haven't yet, one day you will take a job that you shouldn't have. One day you will hire somebody that you shouldn't have hired. Young people, one day you will date somebody that you shouldn't have dated. And what you'll find out is that there are some things that you overestimated over here. Your competence, your discernment, maybe your perseverance. And there's other things that you underestimated over here, like how systemic the problem was, how generational the sin was in that family line. And next thing you know, the job or the relationship, it blows up and you begin to feel your need for wisdom. What was I thinking? Why would I ever do that? Well, it just so happens that in the Bible, wisdom is personified as a woman. She's a woman that's calling out in the streets to God's son, God's son, the nation of Israel. And she is saying, acquire me because I am of infinite importance. Both Doug and Andrew read from Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 verses 10 and 11 Wisdom says, I am more important than silver and gold and jewels. We heard wisdom begin to list her credentials. She says, by me, kings reign. By me, nobles govern. In Proverbs 8.22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. What is she saying? God used me to plan the world. I was a part of creation so truly wisdom can say in verse 11 all that you may desire cannot compare with me more important than rubies and gold I plan creation and nobles and governors use me to rule why is it that wisdom is more important than fame and fortune and power let's be honest Wisdom is more important than all those things because there's only a few of us that ever get all of life's circumstances the exact way we want them. Have you ever had that happen for that brief second in your life? And if you are that person who right now has all of your life exactly how you want it, welcome to what the rest of us will tell you, it won't stay put, right? It doesn't stay there for long. And so you are going to need wisdom to handle to even grow, to even flourish in all of life's circumstances, no matter what they are. When I asked Hudson this week or last week about wisdom and what is wisdom in our family devotions, he says, wisdom is like a power. I thought, all right. I said, I can agree with that. He's right. It makes a powerful difference in our lives because it helps you decide, what school should I go to? should I marry? Who should I marry? What career should I go into? Should I stay at this job or move to another job? Should I move? Should I confront this person or should I hold back and let love cover a multitude of sins? You see, simple formulas don't exist for those decisions. Even as helpful as rules are, rules don't cover all of those decisions. We need wisdom in a day and age when we are confronted with more choices than we've ever had before, right? How much are you willing to give for wisdom this morning? Well, there was a young man many centuries ago who at the age of 20 became king of Israel. And God appeared to Solomon... And he said to him in 1 Kings 3, Ask what I shall give you. And this king, feeling incompetent to make decisions that fit with reality, he said this, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for wisdom above wealth or power And so God gave to Solomon wisdom, it says, beyond measure. And he exercised it in such a way that he has a lot to teach us this morning about wisdom. First of all, though, he's going to help us define the word wisdom. To quote Hudson again, he said, it's a power to help you make good choices. Pretty good. But good choices could be further expanded. Because to make a good choice, you have to know how things really are. Did you hear that quality that Andrew read about in chapter 8, verse 14 of Proverbs? Proverbs eight fourteen says, I have counsel and sound wisdom, I have insight, I have strength. That's wisdom talking, and she says, I have insight. Wisdom says, I know how things really are. I know how the world really works. But, but wisdom isn't just knowledge. It also knows what to do. With it, right? So you have to have insight, but you also have to know what to do with that insight. It's knowledge applied. And we see this beautifully, winsomely illustrated when Solomon decides to kill a baby. You know that story? Turn over in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 3. It's page 282 in your Pew Bible. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 28. I'll set the background for you. It is a marvelous case of wisdom that Solomon shows because there are two ladies that are each claiming that the living baby is theirs and the dead baby is the others. Now what makes this story so amazing of Solomon's wisdom is that these ladies are equal. You gotta catch that. Each of these ladies, they are equal. They are both women of the night. We have kids in here, so working women, you know what I'm talking about, okay? They're both that way. That's what they do. So they're equal. If it would have been a case between an educated woman and this working woman, the laws would dictate who gets the baby for a better upbringing. Even our society does that. If it would have been a case between a man and a woman back then, the laws would have dictated who would have gotten the baby for a better upbringing. The man would have gotten it. Today, Typically, between a husband and a wife, the wife gets the children, correct? Our laws seem to dictate that. But because both of these women are equal, Solomon needs discernment. Not only are they equal, but there is no outside evidence. It's one woman's word versus the other woman. They are the only two people in the room besides one living baby and one dead baby. It's one person's word against another. And that's where we jump in here, where Solomon has to figure out who is the true parent. Begin with me at verse 24. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. And the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son... O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. The imposter is so unhappy that her rival has a child, that she is quite happy to see the baby killed. She doesn't care about the child. So Solomon is able to give the baby to the right woman. What insight! And not just what insight, what ability to move, what a great action. With stories like that, it is no wonder that 1 Kings 4 says, And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Wisdom allowed Solomon to have insight into the way the world really was, and it also gave him the ability to know what to do about it. In essence, wisdom was like a warm blankie for Solomon. It protected him against the cold reality of bad decisions. And it ultimately led Solomon on his very first search in our book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, after figuring out so many things, began to look at life and said, you know what, with my wisdom, I believe I can put the pieces of this entire world together. I'm going to be the first one to make sense out of life. Let's go ahead now and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. That is page 553 in your pew Bible. This is the first time that Solomon or a Solomon-like figure speaks. We've been calling him the preacher man. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. What did Solomon learn on his search for wisdom? that wisdom needs to come under review. Wisdom needs to come under review. He had to go underneath the hood, do a replay analysis, and ask the question, is wisdom really as good as it first sounded? Listen to verses 13 and 14 again. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven, And here's his conclusion. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I find this search for wisdom so fascinating because I did not expect this search for wisdom to be Solomon's first search. I also did not expect that he would summarize his conclusion by saying that wisdom is a trivial pursuit. He found out that wisdom has limits. And that's curious to me because I kind of get the rest of Ecclesiastes. Some of the searches that he's going to go on next week, we're going to look at the search for pleasure. And I kind of get that pleasure only lasts for so long and then it goes away. You have to do it again and again after Pringles. You just can't stop. You've got to have more than just one. I get that. I've also now been the senior pastor for two years and I get the vanity of honor and how fleeting it is, of work and how one sermon goes just for the next one to pop its ugly head up and say, what are you going to say next week? I, I get how the wind changes in a church quickly, where you're a favorite for a minute, and then you're despised the next, and I can see the vanity of work. But to be honest, church, wisdom, limited, lacking, vanity is striving after the wind. I never would have said it. For me, I have to confess this morning, it's an idol in my heart. I was pricked all week long about how I strive to know, to want to understand things. Maybe, maybe one more degree will help me be a better pastor. Maybe understanding how the system works, we could create the right thing. I could be more efficient, more effective. We all want to know what works, right? And Solomon says, wisdom is vanity. And I wanted to argue with them all week long. Surely, Solomon, it is better to have a flashlight in a power outage than fall down a set of stairs. Surely, wisdom is indispensable. I even found some verses to prove it. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, wisdom helps one to succeed. I'm like, take that, Solomon. It's good for you. So how in the world is wisdom really limited? Where does it fall short? Well, he gives us two reasons. And they both come in Proverbs. Did you notice in your Bible that verses 15 and verse 18 are kind of in a prose kind of heading? They look like poetry there. It's a proverb. And here's the first reason that he gives us. Wisdom can't change reality. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. He gives us two images to make the same point. The first one is this steel bar. Thanks, Don. Around here, many men use a chainsaw to move piles of wood. And I doubt that any of us can make this bar straight again. And Solomon says, why is wisdom limited? Because what is crooked cannot be made straight. If there's one thing I hear every week as a pastor, it is this. How the world is getting worse and worse. Crisis after crisis, war after war. The problems aren't getting any better, Josh. They're only getting worse. And he says trying to fix them with wisdom is like trying to count what you don't have. Go ahead right now. Everybody, count how many apples are in your hand. Go ahead. You say, Josh, I don't have any apples in my hand to count. And Solomon says, that's life. It doesn't add up with mere human wisdom. We don't have the materials to change the world. And he also says, we don't have the power to change the world. You know what the reason why is? The world's crooked because we're crooked. It's really hard to fix the world when we can't fix ourselves. You know the problem with self-help is? Myself is the problem. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking can't be counted. And that runs so hard against our culture that wants another self-help book, that wants three easy steps. You know, if I can just identify the problem, you know what? A problem well stated is a problem half solved. And so if I can just understand what's wrong with me, then I should be able to fix me. Isn't the toughest thing just coming to the conclusion that I know what's wrong with me? after that it's just three easy steps it's just find a new church find a new that find a new that it's going to help me change that's all I need in her book hope has its reasons Becky Piper tells a story about how she audits a class in psychology at Harvard and she wants to know after you are done helping somebody identify what their problem is what if they come back to you and they say I need more help Hey, you know what, professor, that was so helpful. Now I know that I'm angry with her. Great, but I need more help. How do I forgive her? How do I actually heal? You know what this Harvard professor said? I would say to that man, lots of luck. The class begins to get in an uproar. Didn't we enter psychology to help people to give them a cure? And this is what he says. Listen, there's only so far you can go. What we've done is very helpful. But in the end, if you're looking for a changed heart, he says, you're looking in the wrong department. Self-help doesn't help. Myself is the problem. So what's the other option? Solomon says in verse 17, And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Solomon chose madness and folly after looking down the course of wisdom. Now that doesn't mean that Solomon chose insanity. What it really means is that Solomon went from a highbrow lifestyle in which people convince themselves that an Italian singer yelling at them is actually music. He went from having degrees hang on his wall to having the Trinity hang on his wall. You know the Trinity. Dale Earnhardt Hulk Hogan and Elvis. He went from going to black tie dinner parties to shooting fireworks off in his backyard for no reason. And you know what Solomon says: whether you read Tolstoy or whether you watch cars take five hundred left turns, nobody knows the meaning to life under the sun. Solomon couldn't solve the problem. He couldn't put the pieces together. And his conclusion was wisdom couldn't fix the problem. In fact, let's look at verse 18. His conclusion actually is, wisdom will only increase your sorrow. Look at verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Instead of being the solution to life, it ultimately adds more grief to your life. The more you learn the more problems you see. Haven't you experienced that? This is Parenting 101. Young people, your parents are 40, you're 16. They're looking at your decisions, and they are saying, why are you doing this? I can see where this is going. Because they know more than you, and it creates what in their life? More vexation because you're not listening to them. We all do that. And so we say, "How sad! Wisdom increases sorrow. And the ultimate reason wisdom increases sorrow is found in Ecclesiastes 2:12 through17. Turn over one page. Ecclesiastes 2:12 through17. Solomon continues. He comes back to the issue of wisdom, and he says, "So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done?" Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten how the wise here it is dies just like the fool so i hated life because what is under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after the wind what's he saying let me put it to you like this you can play highbrow games like trivial pursuit you can play our family favorite candyland lowbrow stuff right And you might even figure out finally how to beat your parents, kids. You know that joy when you finally beat dad? And you're like, yeah! And Solomon looks at you and says, great, you've learned a technique. You've learned a trick to beat the game. But young man, Gracie, (laughs) you got one more lesson to learn. When it's all over, it all goes back in the box." You beat dad at this game. Great job, Hudson. You beat me in O Trio. But now it goes back in the box and it's time for bed. It doesn't matter how wise you are, no human wisdom under the sun can adequately deal with death. Solomon says, if you think you can figure this whole pattern out, you're just a fool. He said, Josh, I would never be so arrogant to think that I could figure out this entire world. I would never go down this trivial pursuit like Solomon. I am way too simple for that. But Solomon says, well, you know what? We all try to figure out a pattern in this world, and most of us do it in one of two ways. Everyone has to have a meaning to this world to find structure, to find order. And here's the thing. Most of us have to find some kind of order because we want control. We do, church. Here's the first philosophy. Philosophy 101. Those of us that are more conservative believe this, philosophy about life. That's how we find meaning. If I live a good life, my life will go well. If I live a good life, my life will go well. And that's the wisdom we live by. But you know what Solomon says? That too brings sorrow. Because what do you do when your child gets sick? What do you do if somebody dies tragically and unexpected? You know what we say? What did she do to deserve that? It isn't fair. And you begin to get friends around you that are counselors like Job. Because you went through this, it must be because you're not living a good life. So what do Job's friends believe? If I live a good life, it will go well with me. And guess what it did? It increased sorrow for them, and they just heaped on sorrow onto Job. So some of us don't go down that traditional path. We're a little bit more liberal. Maybe we're skeptics. We don't believe in God. And we believe philosophy 201, kind of an upgrade I get to decide what is right and wrong for me. I make my own morals. Nobody can tell me how to live. I don't believe in some divine order I have to listen to. That's the modern day philosophy, isn't it? I'll just redefine terms. Make my own meaning out of life. Did you know that you've sung this? You've memorized this philosophy. You've accepted this into your home without even wincing. Are you scared yet? What if you swallowed unaware? Well, it comes from Elsa, in Frozen. Oh, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and make the world no light, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, let it go. What does she say? It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. Like Disney to help us soak in the world's philosophy with a cute cartoon and catchy lyrics. (coughs) I'm free. But if you're here and you're a skeptic and you believe you make your own rules, are you really free? Is it as free as it promises you? Do you understand how crushing that really is? why that will bring you sorrow you now have to decide your look your style you have to promote yourself at work and social gatherings on social media we have a phrase that you have to brand yourself old school you have to make a name for yourself and you do all of that and it promises freedom because you get going to decide what you want to be but you know what you're actually doing you become more vulnerable more dependent even more fragile because now you need someone from the outside to say what? You are special. You are valuable. You did succeed. I love your style. I like it your way. You know what? If the world doesn't give it to you, it also will increase your sorrow. So here's the bottom line. When we look for wisdom apart from God, it makes us fools. We are all tempted to do this. It's, it's temptation It's nothing new. It's the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. Turn back in your Bibles to Genesis 3. It's the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 3, verses 4 through 6. And did you ever notice that the word wisdom is used here in this temptation? So the serpent begins saying... But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Sounds like wisdom, doesn't it? So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was the light to the eyes, and here it is, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate we've been eating that fruit ever since here it is if i get wisdom i get to be god but the wisdom that makes you god ultimately makes you a fool you know this to be true in other areas of your life track with me for a second you've met people forget about the spiritual let's just go to a really mundane issue you know people who the most important thing in their life is money have you met them And they're going through life, and they come to a fork in the road. Literally, a fork in the road. I thought it was funny. And they come to a fork in the road. Boo. Yeah, you can boo. It's all right. (laughs) And there are two job opportunities before them. The first job would satisfy you. It fits your gifts. It's very fulfilling, but it only makes $30,000 a year. The second job doesn't fit your gifts it isn't very fulfilling but you can do it and it makes hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year and you do that one you made a choice based on what was most important to you what you love what you treasure what your king is to use a biblical word what you worship and you followed the wisdom that flowed through it but you know how the story ends don't you Because money was your king, it gave you a wisdom that was truly folly. Now, in the end, you will choose money over rest. You will choose money over family. You will choose money over fulfillment. And here's the irony. In the end, you will ultimately increase your money problems. Because why? You made money your wisdom. You made money your king. People in the Old Testament went to the king for wisdom because from the king, wisdom flowed. And we go to the thing that we value the most. And whatever that is, whatever we put on that pedestal, wisdom comes from that. Have you ever seen what your love makes you into a fool over? How about a relationship? You're willing to do foolish things because you love this person. How about a career? How about a pleasure? How about a hobby? All of those are clues pointing you to this. Whatever you hold most in awe in your life, whatever your king is, whatever you surrender to, that is your source of wisdom. You know what? It'll actually give you folly because it's out of touch with reality. The Bible gives us the answer because it challenges us with this. What if Wisdom is more than principles and more than proverbs. What if wisdom is a person? What the Bible teaches us is that anything except Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, is the king in your life, the wisdom that your life is operating on is inherently foolish on its own terms. Because no wisdom will be had when humanity turns away from a life lived out in fear of the Lord and in obedience to his word. That's why the Bible says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Someone who turns and pushes away his relationship with God is a fool. That's what Adam and Eve did. They began to pursue wisdom out of the context of being rightly related to God and his word, and it made them fools. So Ecclesiastes is in some sense this morning trying to say, hey, let's put your feet back underneath you. Let's give you some equilibrium. Do you want to live a life that's in touch with reality? Do you want that, church? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where do you go to get your feet back underneath you and to find equilibrium in this topsy-turvy world? Have the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It means this. I will be out of touch with reality if I am not in touch with the living God. Not just knowing about him, but if he is your center. Wisdom is not a principle. It's a person that you must surrender to, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, follow me, which means everything that you do. Here's your application this morning. Everything you do, keep this question in mind how does this affect my relationship with Jesus? If you do that, guess what you will have? Wisdom. Because Jesus Christ has become wisdom for us. 1 Corinthians 1, we don't have time, 18 through chapter 2, verse 5, says the Greeks want wisdom, the Jews want a sign, and we preach Christ crucified, which is what? The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than man. What is he saying there? It is in the cross that everything gets reconciled together. It is in the person of Jesus Christ that the crooked actually becomes straight. And so do you want to center your life on Christ? Then you will have wisdom in this upside-down world because you will be in touch with true reality. So my question for you is, well, actually, here's the point. You will not be wise until you follow the folly of the cross. But here's the question. Have you missed the big E on the eye chart? Have you missed the big E on the eye chart? Wisdom is supposed to help you see what really is and then what to do about it. How do you know what the big E is? You've got to keep the end in mind. In the big E, eternity, the end in mind is with Jesus Christ. And when you catch that big E and you can see it and you center your life on it, then it begins to help you to make all the other little decisions in your life. Who to marry, where to go to work, all those things now function with meaning, not vanity, but meaning because it's centered on eternity with Christ. So place yourself under the wisdom of God in Christ and his word. And it will rightly restore you to God and give you skills necessary to live in a life that's out of sorts. Let's end with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of us know this verse, but now think about it in terms of wisdom and fearing the Lord. And appreciate Dennis Lohman's prayer request. Dennis, here's your favorite verse read back to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge Him. And he will make your path straight. Solomon went on a search for human wisdom. It was a trivial pursuit because he did not search for true wisdom in the wisdom of Jesus Christ who provides our life meaning and purpose. And if we keep the end in mind, we can live life connected to God and skills necessary to live in this upside down world. We're going to give you a moment of silence as the piano player plays through our closing hymn one time. And then we'll send and sing.